Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. Today is Monday, June 19th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here by myself today because we're about to air my interview with Beth McDaniel. Before we get into things, here's a quick note from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Today on the planet today, we are joined by Beth McDaniel. Beth is a C-suite executive in the science and technology space, an entrepreneur, attorney, and climate tech advisor. She's also the co-founder of the leading XPRIZE team for carbon reduction, who recently released a groundbreaking peer-reviewed white paper entitled Integrated Techno-Economic and Lifecycle Assessment of a Novel Algae-Based Coating for Direct Air Carbon Capture and Sequestration. This technology can remove carbon from the atmosphere and convert it into biochar and other environmentally friendly solutions. Beth McDaniel, welcome to the planet today. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Matt. Very excited to talk to you and also very excited to uh, hear more about that white paper. If I could brag real quick, read that title in one take for for the listeners. (laughs) That was impressive. So let's start it from the top. What first got you interested in environmentalism and sustainability? Well, we have a paint company and it had nothing to do with environmental or, well, I mean, actually what we do is we, um, we create functional smart coatings for paints and coatings and we add, um, naturally occurring additives to derive that functionality, things like enzymes and peptides. And so we we're in that natural space, but we weren't in the climate change space. Um, until mm-hmm. such time as we got really freaked out. My, my husband and I started this company about two decades ago. And in about 2018, there was an IPCC report um, from the UN that came out about climate change. And there had been some before, but the 2018 report was the one that really grabbed our attention. And I think it grabbed the attention kind of globally. Um, and that's when everyone started freaking out, like this is real and this is happening. And um and uh we were stunned by it and then about a week later when my husband kind of crawled off the couch and was like okay we got to do something he said you know i've been thinking about this for a long time and what we do in our in our business matt is we look to nature for functionality and we take advice from nature okay we're constantly we're copycats Mm -hmm. we're copying nature and he said, I have been thinking about this and for quite some time, and it's a paint that captures CO2. And the way that we would do this is design the paint like lichen, uh, lichen that you find in, you know, you walk in, um, down a trail and you see lichen on rocks and it's different colors and it sticks real well to the rock and you can't get it off. 
Well, guess what? That's kind of like paint, right? And so, um, and so in looking deeper into it, what he had found was that lichen is actually um, an amalgam of two different organisms, um, fungus and algae. The hmm. algae do what algae does, and that is carb uh, photosynthesize, pulling down carbon dioxide with the help of um, with of sunlight and with water and and releasing oxygen. And the fungus, though, provides like a nice environment for that algae to do it and to keep on doing it, and not to overgrow um, itself, and not to and to allow for the proper gas exchange and to allow sunlight, perhaps, but not as much UV as 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 you might get without the fungus. And so mm -hmm. the fungus really controls that algae, and some some lichen are like a thousand years old, so it's a very successful um natural story and so that was what we mimicked this time was lichen because um paint acts like the fungus part of of lichen we can manipulate paints that's what we do in our day job to be more um to be more accepting of of the algae and to really help the algae grow and so that's what we've done and so now we have a paint um that captures co2 and, and it stays in that paint or coating until such time as we do something to permanently sequester it. Hmm. That's super interesting. So just to ask a, a very basic question, what kind of paint are we talking about here? Is, would this be the paint that you would use on houses or roadways or, or both? Yeah, great question. And um, so most people think about paint in terms of, you know, what you put on your walls. And that's true. Architectural coatings are a huge part of the, of the paint industry, but paints, uh, and coatings, and I use those terms interchangeably. A coating is just a paint without color. Mm. And historically, paints are just have just served two functions. They either aesthetically improve a, um, a surface by, you know, canary yellow or something like that, or they protect the surface. But everything that's man-made um, has a coating on it. At some point, it's manufacturing process. So, you know, everything, like if you look around you, wherever you are, and it's not just the walls that have coatings on them. It's it's the floor and it's the um, paintings behind you. It's your glasses. It's your computer screen. Everything has a coating on it at some point if it's man if it's if it's man made. So the paints um, we have we will develop an architectural exterior coating for this paint. However, given the the urgency and given the breadth of the problem, it's not the most efficient way of capturing co2 so instead imagine um, a facility where we have a whole bunch of modules and within those modules we have um we have a whole bunch of surfaces that are covered in our algae paint and those we 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 one thing about paint is it's lightweight and it adheres well okay those are some of the characteristics that make it a paint and so we can create a whole bunch of let's say we have a one meter cubed module well we can stack maybe 20 to 40 meters squared of painted sheets within that module so we get a lot more surface area in a module plus we get to control the environment in a module and measure that so we know exactly how much co2 is in it any given point down to the molecule uh, how much oxygen is there and so we it's it becomes more um, uh, measurable and um, also just more efficient if we put it in a module. So eventually we'll get to the point where we can put this on an outdoor surface, but the paint itself is interesting because we've used all natural 
uh, non-toxic ingredients. In fact, some of the ingredients you can buy at your grocery store and you might've eaten in your, in your blueberry muffin this morning. Mm. Okay. So these are, um, and when we wanted it that way, and so it's more ex- acceptable to the algae and, and so um, it's not a paint that you would put on your exterior surface, but in a module, we it works really great. And eventually we'll get there. Awesome. It's, it's so interesting whenever I, I talk to people in any sort of enviro tech space where we always kind of look at climate change as this giant puzzle that has so many different pieces that go into how we're going to fight it. And it seems like every single time I talk to somebody in this space, they're working on a new puzzle piece that... You know, to, to me, like the everyday person who follows this stuff, but isn't directly doing any of the the research or, or the work for it. It's so interesting to see all of these different things that I would have never considered. Yeah, no one's ever thought about paint, really. Yeah. You know, I always say it's the biggest industry that no one's ever thought of. And so, yeah, it's all going on, though. And we and it happens to have these qualities that we think, you know, we can cover tons of surface area paint. You can go vertical with it. And so the problem with some of the climate change solutions that we have, and the most obvious one is plant a bunch of trees or algae farms or something like that. But the problem with those is um, they take lateral space. Mm-hmm. Okay. In order to plant enough trees to combat the problem of climate change right now, it was, in fact, there's a group called the Trillion, trillion Tree Project. It would take a trillion trees. And a trillion trees would actually take up in land space about the size of the domestic United States. Mm. So it's not exactly, you know, reasonable to think that we could do something like that. We would displace too many people. And so with paint, that's one of the biggest features that we can take advantage of is it's it's lightweight and it adheres well and it goes vertically. So we can go vertical rather than take up lateral space. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I want to talk a little bit about what it is exactly that your team works on, maybe aside from you individually, what is the next thing that your team is looking to incorporate into these paints? Um, Our company is called Reactive Surfaces, not services, but surfaces like the surface of your table. Um, And what we've done is we have um, put together a team called Team Lichen to compete using our um, climate change technology, which is what we call carbon capture coatings, um, in the X Prize. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the X Prize, but your your um, audience might not know what they are. But the X Prize, there's a whole bunch of X Prizes out there, and basically each X Prize is out there to um, to drive innovation to to deal with a certain like existential kind of problem, poverty or or um, water, you know, clean water and and stuff like that. So this is there's a carbon removal X Prize. Um, it's been sponsored by Elon Musk, and it's the largest prize purse in history. It's a hundred million dollar prize purse, hmm. and that's because we've been we've learned um, that we're going to need carbon removal strategies, um, w- which is a strategy that pulls carbon dioxide directly from the ambient air. Um, in addition to lowering emissions, we're going to a- also actually need carbon removal strategies right now. And so there's not a lot of them, unfortunately. We are very, you know, we're hoping to encourage more and more because all of us can fit in this space because it's so necessary and it's so urgent. Um, But there's not too many carbon removal strategies. That's what this is. And that's what that prize is about. And yes, we are a we are a competitor for the for the X prize. So I I do want to talk about the white paper that your team worked on, which we read the title at the beginning. 
What did you find there? And I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the methodology also. How did your team kind of put that together? Yeah. So there's a lot of applications for this technology. Okay. This technology could be used um, in a mitigation sense. So like we could capture point source emissions with this from an industrial emitter. Um, that's not within the um, confines of the prize. So the prize is a, so that, cause that wouldn't be considered what they call direct air capture. So the X prize is for a direct air capture technology. And this paper was done in, um, in light of that. Okay. So um, the paper describes, and it is a peer, it's in, it's been published in a peer reviewed journal called the C journal of CO2 utilization. And um, the, the paper describes a certain scenario and, and it's that direct air capture scenario and it's solar only, it's not using um, any kind of energy source. And these were the requirements for the, for the XPRIZE competition. Um, so the bat, we call those the system boundaries are based on a direct air capture system. So it was based on, imagine these modules that I was describing, um, mm -hmm. imagine like you're driving out in West Texas, which maybe you've never done, but I've done it a lot. And there's these huge <laughs> wind farms. Okay. And they, they go on for miles and miles. Well, we could be out, we could have modules out in the middle of Texas and you know, they don't there, this is a pretty location agnostic um, technology. So we can put these modules and we could just spread those modules out, use direct sunlight to um, trigger the photosynthetic reaction. And, um, and, and so that would be, you know, how the whole thing is set up. And that's what the white paper was mm -hmm. based on was, you know, imagine tens of thousands of these modules doing the work of photosynthesis with, with as much densely packed coated surfaces as we can get in each module. But if there are other scenarios that doesn't cover, so if we were to um, add waste heat or waste energy, say, to that situation, we, we can amplify those results a lot using some waste heat. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't, the white paper doesn't describe that. And that's the reason why I mentioned that is because people want to make comparisons between these, um, between these technologies. And you really have to look at what, el what exactly is being described in each one. Uh, in each, in our technology, it's a cradle to grave boundary. So we're talking about capturing the CO2 and then it has to be removed, um, durably sequestered is the words they use. And that means for a hundred years or more, um, so mm. that the CO2 doesn't re-emit. And that's a problem with natural systems, of course, is that, you know, CO2 is pulled down in every natural system, but then it also re-emits when something dies. Okay. So it has to be sequestered for a hundred years or more. And so that's the boundary of our um, system that's been described. And so what this paper describes also is a life cycle analysis. I don't know if you're familiar with that or if your audience mm -hmm. is, but that basically calculates, it's an accounting of all of the CO2 involved in, in the whole process, including everything that led up to you, you know, if you're using equipment or whatever, whatever it took to, for that equipment to be made. I mean, you have to include all of this stuff in your system boundary, um, scope one and scope two emissions. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's what it describes. And then it's also a techno-economic analysis, which basically says, given the system boundary, how much does it cost to pull down the CO2 per ton? So it gives us those two uh, calculations. Gotcha, gotcha. And if you had to try to 
summarize well i'm sure there's a summary section with conclusions in the white paper but if you had to try to sum it up quickly what would you say your main takeaway um or what you would expect a reader's main takeaway for that white paper to be um yeah well the system works um there are some there are some distinctions between our technology that you would find if you were researching in the carbon removal world so a lot of these carbon removal technologies that you hear about um for instance like climeworks or um some of the other ones that are capturing um, CO2 from the air, like using a sorbent or a solvent technology, mm-hmm. um, their, their grave part of the cradle to grave is to um, inject that CO2 in a liquid form down into the, um, like deep into the earth, like the earth's crust. Mm-hmm. And so you go about a mile or two down and inject it, and then it turns to limestone down there. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them do that. Some of them do other things like push more oil out using it as an enhanced oil recovery, which is you know yeah. questionable. But anyway, so a distinction between our technology and those is that ours does not involve putting it down in the ground, which is mm, controversial at best. What we do as our grave is um, once the algae is accumulated on the painted sheets, then it's 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 accumulating in the form of an algal biomass okay you've all seen them like you know algae just floating on top of on top of the ocean or on top of a lake or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's that biomass that you could scrape off and then that can be converted in our process what we do is we take a chemical chelator and um and what that does is it breaks apart the entire um the entire coatings with the algal biomass into its component parts so we can take the com- the coating parts and reuse them, and we can take even the water that was used in the system and reuse that. But then the algae that contains the the biomass that contains the CO2, we're going to take that out, and we do something called biochar it. And biocharring means um, burning without oxygen. And basically, what it does is you en- it ends up with like a charcoal briquette, and and that biochar is a known method of containing co2 durably sequestering co2 for for some period of time at least 100 years probably more like a thousand and it's also a useful bioproduct byproduct uh it's a soil amendment so it allows soil soils to to capture more water in the soil and makes them a better carbon sink as well so interesting so it's more circular yeah i didn't i didn't know how the biochar process worked i'd heard the term but that that is so fascinating so how can you take this process and adapt it to maybe create other environmentally friendly fuels? If we take change out the algae, this is a whole system. And if we change out the algae, there are algae that capture other nitrogen, I mean, other um, atmospheric gases like nitrogen. Well, nitrogen can be converted into ammonia and ammonia can be cracked and formed into hydrogen, which is a fuel. So it's less far along, but we have proven that our capabilities of actually capturing capturing nitrogen from the ambient air using a different algae, but in our system, and um, using it to um, extract ammonia from it. So it's a very flexible system. It's kind of a Swiss Army knife of technology. Yeah, it's cool when you can develop a system that works on multiple different fronts that all kind of work together to solve a similar or, or the same problem here. So that, that's such a cool application of that. Thanks. So my next question for you, and this might be a big one, but why is carbon capture an important piece of the puzzle in fighting climate change? Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. Okay, so um, our natural systems is are very good at 
at being an equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Okay. So whereas like, um, the ocean <laughs> algae in the ocean, um, capture about, I don't know, 360 something, um, gigatons, which is billions of tons, um, annually, but they're emitting like a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. Like 300 is maybe 367 and they're emitting 362. Same with land, um, land vegetation and trees is they're capturing um, a little bit more than they're emitting. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem that we have is that um, fossil fuels, the burning of fossil fuels is emitting an extra like 40 gigatons annually into the atmosphere. That's what we're not covering. Mm. And the algae and the trees and the lichen and all of those um, um, photosynthetic uh, processes are are doing as much as they can. We're not going to be adding any more photic zone covered with algae. I mean, the whole ocean is covered in algae. The the top part of it is covered in algae. It's doing the work already. We're not going to add any more. So we need to do something about pulling some of the CO2 out or we're not going to we are going to uh, exceed, you know, these the 1.5 or even more degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels. Um, and we might do that. Well, we're, we're actually slated to do that a lot sooner than we thought. Yeah, that just recently came out. And so it's essential that we have carbon removal technologies or we're just whistling Dixie, really. I mean, we're not going to get there. We're going to hit some tipping points if we don't. And once we pass one and a half degrees Celsius um, over pre-industrial levels, then we that's that's when coral reefs start dying off. Yeah. That's the kind of tipping point that we're talking about. And um, by by two degrees over, which we're slated to go past that probably um, in the next 50 or 75 years, then they're dead. And yeah. we're talking Great Barrier Reef and stuff like that, like huge coral reefs. And that doesn't, and then there's a whole bunch of other tipping points, but that's one we're going to start hitting pretty soon. Yeah. The thing that's always scary for me with that is when we think about, oh, how much could half a degree matter? Every single fraction of a degree past that makes such a world of difference that even just going from surpassing 1.5 to 1.6 or 1.7, we're looking at total systems changing the way they operate in nature. So food scarcity and yeah, all sorts of stuff. So every single tool that we have carbon capture included, it adds up and it makes a difference. And I really like the way that you kind of described it where nature is good at maintaining its equilibrium. We as humans have just kind of tipped that balance with industrialization. So now this is kind of the other side of that, where we're hoping to tip it back with stuff like carbon capture, renewables, more advanced technology that replaces the the original tech that got us here. Right. Yeah. We got to clean up our mess. Yeah. You know, it's a cost of doing business and that's the way we got to run from here on out. Yeah. And I, I always find it interesting with carbon capture how, and this, we I feel like we could go on about forever, but it always seems like there's certain bad faith actors specifically in the the oil and gas industry that will say, Oh, we don't need to reduce our, our oil consumption. We just need more carbon capture as if it's one or the other. And we can't, you know, move towards more solar, more wind while also implementing more carbon capture. Right now, if they did it on a scale that they could, you know, that they could actually pull down more than what they're putting out. Yeah. But yeah, sure. That's going to be rough. Yeah. And especially yeah. when they're using carbon capture to 
as enhanced oil recovery to push it down. I mean, carbon carbon dioxide has been used like that for a long time in the oil mm -hmm. industry. And so now they're using, they're just capturing, they used to dig it up out of the ground. Now they're capturing it from the ambient air. And so it, it makes it a neutral, you know, maybe a carbon neutral fuel, but um, what it's not doing is it's not net negative. And that's mm -hmm. what we're seeking is a net negative, you know, where we're pulling down more CO2 than we're putting out there. Yeah. It's a, it's a very tough problem that, you know, I'm glad that we have a lot of people who are luckily on the right side of this fighting the good fight and hopefully getting us, you know, back under that two degrees and much closer to that 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold that we really need to hit. Yeah, we're going to do our best. So my last question for you, and again, sorry if this one's a little bit of a big one to ask, but as a woman in the STEM field, what advice would you give to any younger women or listeners of this podcast who also want to do big things in a field that 20, 30 years ago seemed to be very, very male dominated and is starting to catch up now? Well, we want you. Okay. Our chief scientist is a, is a woman. Um, we're, you know, we, we have a lab not filled with women. It was about half and half. Um, so, and I'm not a scientist, but I'm business development for a science, a tech company, a biotech company. Um, mm -hmm. and so I would just say, you know, if you're into science and, and you want to make a difference, then nothing's holding you back. I didn't, I married into it. So I'm not the best example of it. I married a scientist and we started a company. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think that, um, we're, you know, we're looking for more women in this field. Awesome. So Beth, this was awesome. I really had a good time talking with you and I definitely learned a lot. I'm sure listeners will as well. If people want to keep up with you or your team, where is the best place for them to do that? Um, they can definitely go to our, our company website, reactivesurfaces.com, um, and um, my LinkedIn. Um, and then you can also follow um, the XPRIZE, the carbon, you can just search up carbon removal XPRIZE. The prize is going to be awarded in um, April of 2025 on Earth Day. Nice. And, um, so, and there's, there's, con you know, there's updates and stuff like that they can find on the XPRIZE website. We are Team Lycan. Gotcha. Well, we will link all of those in the show notes. If you're listening right now, swipe up, click those links and go show them some love. Beth, we end all of our interviews with three fun rapid fire questions. You ready? Number <laughs> yeah. one, what is your favorite animal? Dog. Nice. Number two, what is something you do to be more sustainable in your own life? Develop climate change technology uh it's always a tough question when you ask someone who's like i drive an electric car yeah. too <laughs> there you go and last one what is one topic you think my listeners should be more aware of after hearing from you today uh carbon removal i think that people aren't sure what it is you know and it's kind of lumped up into they think that someone's out there doing something and there's there's a lot of people out there trying but it needs we need a bump and we need people calling up their, their lawmakers and saying, we need more carbon removal technology because the, the numbers are out there. Okay. And we're not going to make it if we don't pull down CO2. And so not just about our technology, but we need, we need more carbon removal technology sponsored. We need more big companies, um, taking part in that actively. And so, um, I always say raise your voice because I'm a lawyer and I love to stick it to the man and I love to lobby and, you know, mm -hmm. call up my lawmakers and tell them what we want. And it's easy to do. And it really makes a difference. Awesome. Thank you again. 
really appreciate your time and I'm excited for everyone to hear this. Thank you so much, Matt. I enjoyed being here. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We'll be back on Friday for another episode, but you can check out our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT in the meantime. Thank you again to Beth for her time today on this episode. For the Planet Today, I am Matt Norton. See you on Friday.